Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? Oh, how could I be so cheerful? Look at all that's going on. But um, our, our confidence, our peace, our hope are not in circumstances ever because we would be most miserable. But they are in our Lord. Our hope is in our Lord. Our trust is in His sovereignty, His providence. Um, we are praying for so many people who are um, who have contact, uh, contracted, I guess, the, the coronavirus. And I, I want to mention one to you. There are thousands, I know, but one very um, wonderful soul whom we, uh, many of us, know and love, Dan Burke, who um, was the uh, editor of the Register for quite a while and is the founder and head of the Avila Institute, uh, Dan is a convert to the church, also has a Jewish background. Both he and his wife uh, not only have the coronavirus, but Dan is extremely serious in ICU on a respirator. Um, and so we're asking, uh, he's only gotten worse and he's in very critical condition. So we ask everyone's prayers for Dan. Um, and for his wife also who is ill, but Dan is extremely serious right now. So we ask for your prayers for him and for for all your loved ones who are ill. Um, God, I, I often say that nothing touches us that God does not allow. I believe that is true of this coronavirus also. I also believe it's a chastisement for us, of uh, which is... Um, um, it's awful, but uh, on the other hand, it is mild in terms of what may come if we don't return to God as a people, as a nation, as countries, as were as the world. We are turned from Him uh, for the most part, and and we could say individually, "Well, I'm not turned from Him," but God sees us as a people. Yes, we are accountable individually. But he sees us as a people, and as a people we have sorely turned from him. There's no question about it. We are in the world and of it, uh, as opposed to being in the world and not of it. And so um, we pray, and we pray this would be a great time of repentance, of turning to him. Today is a first-class feast. Um, uh, as, as most of you know, it's the Feast of the Annunciation. Uh, when the angel Gabriel came to a 15-year-old Jewish woman and told her that she would be the mother of God, that she would bear the very Son of God. Um, and that Son is the Savior of the world. And, beloved, um, if you don't know him, if you're not part of the church and the people he established on earth, which is the Catholic Church, Catholic means universal, but 
Uh, it also means the church he established 2,000 years ago and is today the Catholic Church uh, whose um, earthly um, headquarters, so to speak, are in Rome. And despite the awful um, scandals of our day, despite what... Uh, I don't know how to describe it, what is seen as a a tremendous amount of confusion. Um, It is the church, and it is the church. Pope Paul VI said that the smoke of Satan has entered the church, not the invisible body of believers, but the church, the city on a hill. Um, And that is the Catholic Church, uh, whose Pope, Papa, is in Rome. And let God build his church as he wills, allow what he wills, just as he allowed the people of Israel, the people through whom the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come, um, just as he allowed them to have leaders who were evil, to have uh, his entire people turned from him uh, over and over and over again. And yet, um, they didn't remain faithful, but God did, and brought the Messiah through his people. And his people Israel, um, that was um, his salvation, that came through a particular people whom he formed for himself, then came through the Messiah, his a birth announcement, his not the announcement of his birth, but his conception in the Blessed Virgin Mary is announced today. And uh, his salvation went from the people of Israel to um, Israel uh, uh, in its Messiah now, through whom, for whom the Messiah came, and then for the whole world. Christianity, Catholicism, the full measure of Christianity, is Israel. Uh, post-Messianic Judaism, Israel following the birth of the Messiah, and his death and resurrection now spread to the entire world. And if you are part of that people, uh, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And if you are part of that people, beloved, you need to live like it, separated in the world and not of it. If you are not part of that people, you need to be. There's no other way to salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And me is Jesus. And the Catholic Church is not other than Jesus, not more than Jesus. It is the whole Jesus. As St. Augustine said, the whole Christ. And if you're not in the church, there's no other way of salvation, beloved. You need to ask God to grant you faith, to lead you to the full measure of truth. If you are in the Catholic Church, or at least you call yourself a Catholic, and you are not living as one, you're not living a holy life, then the uh, judgment on you is worse than an unbeliever, because you have the truth. You have the grace of God. And the writer to the Hebrews says, if you turn from that, there's no salvation from you, for you. So you need to get right. You need to go to confession, and you need to get right with God. Now, now, beloved, we don't know. I say it so often, we don't know that we have tomorrow. Um, but
but today is a first-class feast, a holy day. Um, and um, uh, it's not a holy day of obligation, but it is a first-class feast and a holy day. And normally we would all try to get to Mass, but we're not able to now, so I would urge you to... Um, to find Mass online. Uh, here at the Priory, we watched the Feast of the Annunciation on Ma- at Mass this year, last night. It was a low Mass. It was a low Latin Mass, and we watched it on the computer. And we'll, we'll watch another one. And um, if we cannot get to Mass every Sunday um, or every day, you can watch live Masses. There's many, many opportunities for that, many opportunities. Um, EWTN has on its site um, a, an article on the Annunciation that comes from Women, Women for Faith and Family. I would urge you, dear women, to uh, look up that apostolate. Women for Faith and Family. Helen Hitchcock uh, was the foundress of that. It's thoroughly wonderful. Um, And the article says that the Feast of the Annunciation is one of the most important in the church calendar. First, it celebrates the actual incarnation of our Savior, the Word made flesh in the womb of his mother, Mary. Second, it is a principal Marian feast. Two other feasts honoring our Lord's mother are the Assumption, August 15th, and the Immaculate Conception, December 8th. They are celebrated as holy days. Those two, the Assumption and the Immaculate Conception, are celebrated as holy days of obligation in the United States. New Year's Day, January 1st, is observed as a solemnity of Mary. Of course, I realize um, that's in the new calendar. I believe in the old calendar, it is the circumcision of our Lord. Many Catholics who are deeply concerned with the defense of the life of the un- of unborn children believe that it would be most fitting if the Feast of the Annunciation were also to be accorded this stat- status as a holy day of obligation. I certainly agree. Although it seems unlikely that the American bishops will add another obligatory feast to the church calendar, we can certainly take on the obligation ourselves to attend Mass. If at all possible, in any case, it is most appropriate that we encourage special celebrations in the domestic church. That's the family. That's the home, beloved, even perhaps in our parishes. The biblical account of the Annunciation is in the first chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke, which describes the news given to Mary that she was to become the mother of the Incarnation of God records the angelic salutation of Gabriel to Mary Hail thou who art highly favored the Lord is with thee I don't know what translation they're using but it should be hail full of grace the Lord is with thee beloved there's the music for our first break we'll be right back we'll continue um, this beautiful article and then we'll take your calls at the halfway mark and your texts and your emails. The toll-free number to call is 1-877-511-5483 and the email is mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. 
beloved, it's so good to have you join me on Mother Miriam Live. We are in uncertain times for sure, but we also know that our dear Lord assures us that he is with us always. Even in this dark night, we must press on, and God willing, the coronavirus will help us lead people back to life, family, and faith. I would urge you to support the good work at LifeSite News that is bringing people back to these most basic fundamentals of humanity. Right now, LifeSite News is in the midst of their spring fundraising campaign with the help of a generous family. LifeSite is doubling every monthly gift of this year up to $120,000. So I would urge you, beloved, if you can, to become a monthly supporter to help sustain their pro-life and pro-family journalism. To donate, click the link in the comments of this video or visit lifesitenews.com forward slash 2020. Thank you and God bless you for your generosity. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she and I am so um, grateful to be happy, but grateful to be with you on this day and that we can pray together um, and um, uh, uh, grow in our faith together during this very, very difficult time of the virus. Um, we're reading an article on the Annunciation because today is that glorious feast of uh, the Annunciation of our Lord. That is the Annunciation when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she would bear the very Son of God. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And that's where we get the Hail Mary for the rosary. Um, and Mary's response to God's will, let it be done to me according to thy word. Her exalted hymn, the Magnificat, uh, also in Luke chapter 1, has been part of the church's liturgy of the hours at Vespers, which is evening prayer and has been repeated nightly in churches, convents, monasteries for many centuries. Do you know that every priest, um, every religious, is vowed to, uh, to say um, uh, the, uh, the liturgy of the hours every single day? Every single day. So the Pope himself, uh, the cardinals, the bishops, the priests, and all religious 
pray Vespers every night, Lauds every morning, and um, uh, many pray the full eight hours as we do here at the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. Um, And this article I'm reading is on EWTN. It's from Women of Faith and Family, and it continues the significance of this Christian feast on Western culture is made clear from the fact that New Year's Day used to be celebrated on March 25th. Wow. New Year's Day used to be celebrated on March 25th, as was the case in England until until as late as 1752. I did not know that. Another remnant of the historic universality of Christianity in the world is the universal use of B.C., meaning before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, to denote periods of time in history. Although there has been an attempt in some circles to change B.C. to B.C.E., which means before the common error, and and usually the Jewish people will do that, and they will not uh, consider the common era, uh, E-R-A era, as uh, before Christ, because they don't acknowledge Christ. So they'll say B.C.E., which is before, instead of uh, before Christ, before the common error, they'll say, um, and they change A.D., which is the year of our Lord, to C.E., which would just stand for the common error. And although it's true that the religious significance of our system of dating has been effectively obliterated, nevertheless, Christians and non-Christians alike consent to the birth of Christ as the fulcrum of the dating, the events of human history. This is the dividing line. This is the reference point. Um, In families with young children, this feast would be a good time and we're talking about teaching your children at home, beloved. Now more than any time when the schools are closed, we've been talking about homeschooling for a long time. And now we don't have a choice because our children are home. In families with young children, the Feast of the Annunciation would be a good time to begin teaching youngsters important lessons about the inestimable value God places on human life. First, that he loved us so much that he chose to become one of us, to take on our humanity so completely that he became flesh, as utterly weak and dependent as any human infant is. Did you hear that? A tiny babe in the manger, completely human, 100% human, but never ceased being 100% God, beloved and he held the world together from the manger. He didn't give up his godhood. He did not display its manifestation, but he held the world together from the manger. Secondly, God became like us in all things except sin. At the moment of his conception in Mary's womb, not at some later time, the Feast of the Annunciation is a celebration of the actual incarnation of Jesus Christ. Children may quite naturally think that the birth of Jesus is the time when our Savior first became man, especially since Christmas has become the Christian holiday in our culture. We understand best what we can see, what is visible. The invisible, the hidden, 
is no less real for our lack of seeing it. We think of the baby in its mother's womb, known and felt, though unseen, only to her. Even very young children can know the truth about the growth of a baby inside its mother's womb, especially if the mother of the family or aunt perhaps happens to be um, with child on the holiday. The exactly the exactly nine months wait from March 25th today, beloved, to December 25th, Christmas, for the baby to be born would be interesting to most children. Nine months. God made no special rules for his own bodily development. What better way than the reading, uh, than the reading, the uh, first chapter of Luke, to gently begin teaching children about the beginning of each new human life, you see? So Mary um, became uh, the mother of our Savior at the moment of her conception, which we celebrate today, March 25th, and that baby was born nine months later on December 25th, the Savior of the world, but he didn't become the Savior of the world on on December 25th. That happened on March 25th at the moment of his conception. The article continues, children should be told how important it is to every person that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And at Mass, when we say that, we kneel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And parents can find this feast a valuable teaching moment. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 3 of the Creed, He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and was born of the Virgin Mary. That that sentence should be read by parents. This will not only give adults a timely review of Catholic doctrine, but it can be a great help to help us in transmitting important truths of the faith to our children. The summary at the end can help formulate points we want to emphasize, excerpts from the Catechism could be read aloud to older children. Some other lessons that can be drawn from this extremely important feast are the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, because the Son conceived was the second person and is of the Blessed Trinity. Angels as God's messengers, because the angel Gabriel came to Mary and he plays quite a role in all of history. The importance of humility, submission, and obedience to God's will. As Mary said, be it done unto me according to thy word. She was a virgin, a a teenager. That's quite something to say that she would bear the Son of God. And she said, be it done unto me according to thy word. The value of hiddenness is another lesson. The value of hiddenness, silence, quiet. The baby in the womb, Mary at home, all of those factors. And then family prayers and readings. You could read St. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 53, um, which is the Annunciation. You could read the Magnificat, which is also Luke chapter 1, 46 to 53. Psalm 139, which uh, the author of that psalm says, We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You could read the Creed. 
And you can also look at the Article 3 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Excuse me. You can pray the Angelus, which comes from today. It's exactly the angel's words. The angel of the Lord came to Mary and she conceived. The, the entire Angelus comes from the, uh, Luke. The rosaries, the, most of the rosary comes from Luke. Unique uh, to Luke is the five joyful mysteries, the Annunciation, the Visitation, Nativity, the Presentation of Jesus in the Temple, the Finding of Jesus in the Temple, all those. And the Novena for the Unborn, Sacred Heart Devotions, which are also in the Catechism, the Catechism section on Angels, and many activities with children. Um, And I tell you... um, this is one of the reasons that I recommend Women for Faith and Family, that the apostolate, the Ministry of Women for Faith and Family. Excuse me, that silence was a yawn. I apologize. They're an ex- outstanding apostolate for the family. They give you all kinds of activities to do with children, with the family, um, and for all the holidays. You want to know what to do on the Annunciation, what to do at Christmas, uh, Easter. It's all there. They, it's an entire liturgical year, women of faith and family. And here's just a couple of activities. Have children draw an Annunciation scene with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit present, as well as Mary and the angel Gabriel. Another idea would be to make the figures from clay or Play-Doh and make a tableau using a shallow box to represent Mary's house. Mention that Christianity is unique in recognizing the incarnation of, of the God as Jesus the Christ, the Son. God's taking on humanity while being truly and fully divine is the reason why artistic representations of Jesus, Mary and others are not idols. They're not graven images prohibited by the first commandment. And the catechism speaks of this. Catholics who properly reverence images of sacred figures are actually reverencing the person who the image represents, not the physical object painting or sculpture, metal or whatever it may be. And then they suggest make a flower centerpiece for the dinner table using red carnations to symbolize the incarnation. Baby's breath (laughs) Um, plants. I love it. It's such a beautiful plant, baby's breath, that indicate innocence and spirit. And then ivy for eternal fidelity. Explain how the symbolism of the flowers reminds us of the Annunciation and the appropriateness of the gift of real flowers for the occasion. And sprinkle the flowers with holy water. Little children love to do this. And explain that this consecrates or sets apart our gift to the worship of God. Oh, there's so much, beloved. So much that we have in the treasury of graces and feasts and celebrations and practices, all of that. There's the music for our second break, and we will be back and take your calls, your texts, your emails, um, 
with whatever's on your heart, and uh, you can email as well at uh, mother at the station of the cross dot com, and the toll free number is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight. Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails, and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is in a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. Dominus et vobis et Beloved, it's so good to have you join me on Mother Miriam Live. We are in uncertain times for sure, but we also know that our dear Lord assures us that He is with us always. Even in this dark night, we must press on, and God willing, the coronavirus will help us lead people back to life, family, and faith. I would urge you to support the good work at LifeSite News that is bringing people back to these most basic fundamentals of humanity. Right now, LifeSite News is in the midst of their spring fundraising campaign with the help of a generous family. LifeSite is doubling every monthly gift of this year up to $120,000. So I would urge you, beloved, if you can, to become a monthly supporter to help sustain their pro-life and pro-family journalism. To donate, click the link in the comments of this video or visit lifesitenews.com forward slash 2020. Thank you and God bless you for your generosity. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you. This is our half hour together. And I want to mention just as we begin, as we pray for all our loved ones and everyone who is sick and the people we keep hearing about, um, to pray for a special soul who is uh, much loved by all of us. And his name is Dan Burke. Dan was the, uh, for a time, I don't know that he still is, the editor of The Register uh, from EWTN, the newspaper. But um, he is also the founder and head of the Avila Institute and, and the Spiritual Direction website. Um, beautiful soul, convert to the church. He and his wife both have come down with the coronavirus. Um, but Dan is in extremely serious condition. He is an ICU on a ventilator, and he's fighting for his life right now. So we ask all of you, I ask all of you, to pray for Dan Burke and his wife. Thank you. Um, okay, let me just see. Um, let me take an email from Mary Beth. And Mary Beth... 
Uh, hold on now. Okay, here we go. Mary Beth writes, Our parish regularly offers communion under both species. I personally prefer not to receive the precious blood. But I have a couple of questions. Do you think that I am missing anything by not receiving the blood when it is offered? Is receiving under both species like having communion twice? Do you think it is a good thing that people receive under both species as often as possible? Mary Beth, you raise an interesting point. I think you are receiving communion twice. In the Latin church, communion is served. In the Latin mass, only under one kind, only the host, not the precious blood. The priest is the only one that receives the precious blood. That's the way it was for many, many years, uh, centuries. Um, it's it's certainly not necessary to receive the p- precious blood. It is like be- receiving communion twice because one little grain of the host is the whole Christ. One little drop of his blood is the whole Christ. So if you have the host, you've already received the whole Christ, not part of him. You won't get more of Christ when you receive the plesh- precious blood. So it is like receiving Christ twice. And... Um, I I don't um, uh, when I'm in a church that ha- that serves under both kinds I receive under both kinds, but um, there can be problems with it. So um, is it a good thing um, that people receive under both species as often as possible? Your question. Uh, I I really can't say it is. I can't say it's not either. Um, it's a practice that is new, uh, relatively new, and um, it, normally it takes uh, so-called Eucharistic ministers uh, for you to receive the precious blood. Usually priests don't do that. And so I would eliminate that completely if it takes lay people to distribute the precious blood. We have an email from somebody who writes anonymously and says, we have a family wedding coming up. I know that a lot of family members on both sides are Catholic in name only and rarely, if ever, go to church on Sunday. Many of those people, out of habit or a sense of entitlement or whatever, may try to go up to receive communion. Is there a charitable way for us to handle this so that we don't have a parade of non-believers taking communion at the wedding, which would certainly be more than uncomfortable for me, I admit. Or should we just leave it alone and let God be their judge, which of course he is. Hold on, please. (coughs) Sorry, just a tickle in my throat. Well, I tell you, it's totally uncharitable if you don't say something. That's what is uncharitable. Uh, In this wedding, somebody in the family, uh, even if you're not part of the wedding party, should go to the priest beforehand and explain this very situation and ask the priest um, if he will make the announcement uh, prior to communion that only Catholics and only Catholics in a state of grace and who have been to church this past Sunday and or confession since uh, can can receive communion and everyone else can um, uh, 
have a, a drive for a spiritual communion and ask our Lord to come to them where they sit. I would not invite them to come up and cross their arms. That's an abuse of the Mass. That's not part of the, the Mass. Um, I would just invite them to remain in their seats and to do that. The priest should do it. If he's a little shy and doesn't want to do it, wants to make everybody feel happy, I would beg him um, and say it's not just their souls at stake, but it's the reverence of the Eucharist. We're mocking God by just letting everybody come up and, and grab him. It's terrible. So, um, yes, you should tell people. Um, and... Um, the charitable way is simply to say, you know, dear Johnny, dear Susie, whoever you are, um, you know, I, I love you. I don't want to offend you for the world. But you may already know that the Catholic Church teaches that only those who are Catholic and in a state of grace uh, should receive the Eucharist. So when it's time to receive the Eucharist, if you... If, if you haven't gone to church this past Sunday, or at least confession since then, you should refrain from taking the Eucharist. Um, people may get angry at you, but say it in a loving way, and uh, they'll know that if you've done that, it's that important, even if they think it's only that important to you. But they've been told, and God can use uh what you've told them. He can't use what you haven't told them, right? So another question from somebody who uh, texted uh, anonymously writes, do you think that there is in fact a pre-shortage in this country and worldwide? What do you think is the best way to address this shortage? Would a policy of allowing married men to become priests to become priest abs- actually work? Absolutely not. Married men should not become priests. They already have a vocation. They already have one wife. And if they become priests, the body of Christ is their bride. They, that would be, uh, uh, they cannot have two wives. So that's number one. Uh, secondly, priests are to remain celibate. And you can't be married and be a priest and remain celibate. It's possible if you live with your wife as brother and sister. It, it's a possibility, but you're dividing yourself. When God calls us to a vocation, he calls us to give our whole selves. Husbands are to give their entire life, lay down their lives for their wife as Christ did the church. Priests are to lay down their lives for the church as Christ did as well. They are an, an altar Christus, another priest. So no, married men definitely uh, is not the solution to the priest shortage, do I think there's a priest shortage? Um, probably, I would say yes. Uh, not probably, definitely yes. There are people, there are areas, countries that don't have priests at all. Um, so absolutely yes. Um, what's the solution that we become a holy people and restore the family and teach the faith at home as God has given us? We've departed from that. And if we return to it, God will raise up many holy souls, many vocations, many men who don't know their vocation to the priesthood because they're not encouraged in their family. The faith is not lived at home. It, it's very difficult. So, um, uh, 
so there, I, I, I can't think of anything else, but no, married men should not become priests. Women definitely not become priests. Women shouldn't be deacons either. Zero on that. Uh, married men can be deacons, yes, but, um, but it is uh, the priesthood that God gave that should be perpetuated. We have a call from Fran in Auburn, New York. Hi, Fran. Hi, how are you? I'm terrific. How are you? Oh, I listen to you, Mother Miriam. It's not easy sometimes what I hear, but that's what's being a true Catholic, uh, following the the laws of the Church and following Jesus. I heard you speak about uh, the uh, rehearsal uh, or the wedding uh, and people coming up after they don't go to communion or, or don't go to confession. But I I would make a suggestion that this should be brought up during the rehearsal. Um, The person that is leading that group should tell them and instruct them how important this is to receive the Eucharist under uh, grace. Um, Because sometimes a priest is not... um, Yes. Let me tell you what's wrong with that, Fran, what I think is wrong with that. It's too late at the rehearsal to tell the people who are part of the rehearsal. Number one, the people who are there at the rehearsal are the very small wedding party, as opposed to maybe hundreds that are coming to the wedding. So the priest must tell the entire congregation at Mass. Um, But if you're just going to tell the wedding party, it's too late during rehearsal in other words um if you're inviting people if you're inviting people to be part of a wedding party you should know whether they're catholic in a state of grace or not and if they're not when you invite them to the wedding party you need to say to them you know you understand you won't be able to receive communion unless this and this are in order. That should be with the invitation. They shouldn't be told after the fact at the at the uh, rehearsal. You're absolutely right, uh, Mother Miriam. Uh, but they could do it twice, too. Oh, <laughs> it should be ten times. Oh, Fran, it should be yeah. ten times. It's, it's a great, yeah, it's a great sacrilege. And thank you so much for all you do for us, Mother well, I hear your heart, friend, and I love it, and God loves it, and thank you too, dear one. God bless you. You're welcome, and God bless you too. Um, we have a um, a text from Lisa who says, "What is the origin of the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus?" Um, and then, uh, as a follow-up question, how to go about practicing this devotion? The devotion to the Sacred Heart, Lisa is, and, and everyone that doesn't know this, is the number one devotion in the church. There's Outside of the Mass, there is no greater devotion than devotion to the Sacred Heart. That heart, said our Lord to Margaret Mary, that so loved the world and is so little loved in return. Um, and so uh, it is the number one devotion in the church. And many people think it's the rosary, but it's not. It's the, We should all pray the rosary, our mother's instructions on that. But the sacred heart of Jesus is very, very important. I don't know if I can answer <clears throat> the exact origin of it, but I do know that our Lord came, before he came to Margaret Mary, um, in the 1700s, I believe, um, 
showed her his sacred heart and um, asked her to spread the devotion to the world. He came almost a thousand years earlier to um, St. Gertrude, uh, who is a Benedictine, and um, showed her first before Margaret Mary his sacred heart and asked her to spread the devotion. She didn't know about it. That's probably its origin, but I I won't say that for sure because I'd have to confirm that. But... uh, uh, St. Gertrude said, Lord, wh- why didn't you, why did you wait till now to tell us about this? And um, he said, because there would be a time that the world would need it more, and it's now. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about that devotion um, when, we, when we return from our break. Don't go away and call in with anything on your heart. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at com. We'll be right back, beloved. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the Internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. us here on the Station of the Cross for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern with the Office of Readings read at 3 o'clock. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus tells us, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Liturgy of the Hours is also known as the Divine Office and is the daily prayer of the Church. So you know you'll be uniting your prayer with priests, religious, and laity throughout the world. It's comprised of small reflections, readings from sacred scripture, and writings from saints and theologians. To learn more about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Pray with us each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Welcome back, beloved, to the Station of the Cross and LifeSite News and Mother Miriam Live. And um, this is our last segment. Feel free to call in with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Um, oh, just a moment now. I was right on... Hold on, I'm so sorry. Um, oh, I think I think it's gone. Um, I'm so sorry. I was I was in the middle of a caller, and it was. Um, I don't have it in front of me now, and I was right in the middle of a story that I was telling you. But don't my mind is. Uh, um, hold on now. Um, I want to see if it was right. Hold on a second. Um, oh, the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Yes, thank you. Um, all right. Um, see how quickly, don't get old, you forget everything. You remember things from a hundred years ago, but you forget what happened two seconds ago. Hold on. Okay. Um, the origin of the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And I was mentioning that um, at least with St. Gertrude the Great, it began and... Um, uh, our Lord appearing to her, and then almost a thousand years later, his appearing to St. Margaret Mary, uh, and showed both of those saints the devotion to the Sacred Heart, to his Sacred Heart, and asked them to spread it throughout the world. And the interesting thing is that he came to them both on the Feast of St. John the Evangelist. Um, <clears throat> and... Um, the reason that he came on the Feast of St. John the Evangelist is because St. John was the beloved who leaned on the breast of our Lord at the Last Supper. And so uh, both of them, um, uh, our Lord came to uh, Gertrude the Great and to St. Margaret Mary on the Feast of St. John uh, the Evangelist. So it's very, very beautiful. And um, uh, Lisa, you're asking how to go about practicing this devotion. Well, um, if you can get online, it's the best thing to do. There are books on the tremendous books on the devotion to the Sacred Heart. Um, there are pamphlets. There are um, litanies to the Sacred Heart. If if you can get online on the computer, because this is from your phone, this is a text, but if you're able to get online, just type in devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus, and you won't be able to read all that, all that comes up. It'll guide you through. Okay, God bless you. We have an... Um, a text, uh, anonymous, uh, from someone who says, Good morning, Mother. Could you help me explain to my Protestant family the general absolution that the Pope is offering to those who are very ill with the coronavirus? I know that priests can grant absolution for soldiers during time of war, but I'm just not sure how to explain it. Um, thank you, Mother. There is a... Um, a very, very good website called CanonLawMadeEasy.com. CanonLawMadeEasy.com. And um, it is um, it's an excellent site, and you can usually find uh, canon law answers, canonical answers to these um, uh, difficult questions that we don't normally know the answer to as lay people. 
um, and on that site, um, the author of the site says, what is the purpose of general absolution, which involves the granting of absolution to a group without the priest having heard each person's individual confession of sins. And um, uh, she goes to Canon 961.1, which explains there are two situations when it may properly be used. The first obtains when danger of death threatens and there is sufficient time for the available priests to hear the confessions Rather, there's insufficient time uh, for the available priest to hear the confessions of everyone present. The most obvious situation in which this might happen is a time of war. And I think we're in sort of that right now with the coronavirus. Um, Imagine, um, uh, for example, that Sunday Mass is being celebrated in a parish church that is more or less crowded with parishioners. Suddenly planes are heard overhead and bombs begin to fall. It is quite possible that the church may be hit and everyone inside killed in a matter of moments. At that point, the celebrant of the Mass would rightly move to give general absolution quickly to the entire congregation. The second point The second situation pertains to circumstances which are less extreme. It involves a grave necessity described as a large number of penitents and an insufficient number of available confessors such that there is no time to hear everyone's confession and the faithful would be deprived of the grace of the sacrament for a lengthy period of time. Um... Let me just see here. There's so many examples. I want to. I want to skip those. Um, okay. And so she s- explains a number of situations that are not uh, urgent, and she says there is no canonical justification whatsoever for the administration of general absolution at a penance service simply because there are too many people present for individual confessions to be heard. The failure of a parish to schedule extra confession times during the run-up to Christmas certainly does not result in a grave necessity. Okay, now. Um, Okay, additionally, it is not widely known that persons who receive general absolution have an additional obligation if they are to benefit validly from the sacrament. Now, this very much pertains to the present coronavirus. Um, Canon 962 requires that they attend in due time to confess those sins which they could not confess at that moment. In other words, if or when the extraordinary circumstances that necessitated the use of general absolution come to an end and the penitent is then able to go to private confession, he must do so. Persons who receive general absolution are supposed to be told of this obligation at the time it is administered. It does not appear that, I mean, this is not being done in many cases. Um, And so uh, the Pope's general absolution during the coronavirus, um, those who are in danger of imminent death, but they must have a repentant heart toward God. Absolution is given when one has a repentant heart, not when they are um, fighting against God, not when they are 
in obstinate sin and will not repent. But for those who cannot get to confession, who have a repentant heart, um, then the Pope grants that general absolution. But again, it's to repentant hearts, not to stubborn hearts, not to sinful hearts. And to those repentant hearts, um, they can trust that they're absolved, but if they are able to get to confession after that, they must do so. If they don't, the absolution is invalid. All right? Now, if they die, they can't get to confession, then they are absolved. Um, uh, again, with a penitent heart uh, that could not get to confession. But if you are absolved by a general absolution and you can get to a confession or have a priest come to you and you do not do that, um, then the absolution is invalid um, because the issue is always the issue of our heart, beloved. There's the closing music for our program today. Um, God bless you. Stay safe. I'll remind you again, please pray for Dan Burke and his wife uh, in, in very dire condition with this virus. Um, stay safe, all of you. We, we are praying for all of you. God bless you, and we'll speak with you tomorrow.